Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We'll continue with the fourth subsection of the 105th Anucheda of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. Determination of Bhagavan as the supreme object of the Bhagavat Purana. Up to this point in this subsection, Jivika Swami has continued to uh, expand upon the idea of the correlation between the opening verses of the Brahma Sutras, Vedanta Sutra, and the first verse of the Bhagavatam. We will continue in this way, from the perspective of conventional experience as well, the threefold creation is directly perceived and there is no beginning for this. Brahman is also self-manifest as pure consciousness. Therefore, just as the jiva, who is under the influence of beginningless ignorance, mistakes Brahman for the world because of their common characteristic of existence, why would the jiva not also sometimes mistake the threefold creation for Brahman? For this reason... If it is not concluded that Brahman alone is the foundation head, then it would lead to utter destruction. Moreover, just as there can be no superimposition of inert matter on Brahman, so superimposition of pure consciousness on inert matter is also impossible. And according to the Brahmavadis, Brahman is mere consciousness and nothing else. So Jiva's making a point here. He's trying to bring out uh, some understanding for us to comprehend in relationship to the material manifestation and the conclusive facts regarding its actual existence. So as I as we ended up in the last discussion, he's going back around to the same presentation of the nature of the real existent, Sachamparam Dimahi, the real existent has real potencies, and those real potencies take real form. So, here he's pointing out some distinction that because of the common characteristic, uh, what's he say here? Just as the jiva who is under the influence of beginningless ignorance mistakes Brahman for the world because of their common characteristic of existence. In other words, the jiva can look upon the material manifestation at itself as Brahman because it exists and Brahman exists. It's like a reverse way of looking at it from that of the Advaitin philosophy. Why would the jiva not also sometimes mistake the threefold creation for Brahman? For this reason, if it is not concluded that Brahman alone is the fountainhead, if we don't, if we can't conclude that the material creation comes from Brahman, then, well, we could say Brahman comes from the material creation. I mean, we, he, he says, then, what's he say? The way he puts it here, uh, it would lead to utter destruction. There would be no basis in 
in anything for our understanding. Our whole understanding would be would be of no significance if we were that loose in our understanding, if we were that interchangeable with terms, if we were that interchangeable with our understanding. Um, so we'll read on. It'll become clear where he's going with this. Therefore, having, having established this explanation, which is firmly rooted in the Shrutis, that explanation being that Brahman is the source for the material manifestation. So this, he's established this point. And this point has been established in the first verse of the Bhagavatam and in the first sutras of the Vedanta Sutra that we're going to inquire into Brahman. And then the first thing we say is, well, Brahman is the source of the material manifestation. That's the beginning of the Vedanta Sutra. So you can put some relationship between the two. If you're going to inquire into spirit and the nature of spirit and the supreme spirit, the supreme existent, then know that this is a characteristic of that supreme spirit. Is that the material manifestation springs forth from it or him, and he's he's gradually establishing, and he will continue as we go forward in this. I mean, very complex 105th Anucheta establish the fact that when we when the when we speak of, in other words, in the in the context that he's using the terminology Brahman, and even the context of the different. Upanishadic statement that when we look to the the Shruti and the Smriti, Brahman is portrayed with characteristic. Those characteristics, if we have characteristics, that means potency. Now he's going to go on and he's going to bring out the fact that those one of those characteristics is form. And then he's then he's going to get to the personality, you know. So he's he's developing he's developing a, a presentation based on the opening of the Vedanta Sutra and the opening of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is meant to give us a clear picture of what these literatures are talking about. It's as I said, it's going to be a little complex, but you'll see that it's going to develop in a way that's that's comprehensible and understandable. And you'll see the way he draws from the first verse of the Bhagavatam what's really being presented there by Srila Vyasudeva in the way that he's composed that verse. It's it's simple it's well it's simple elegant. Elegance means to simply state the truth in the in the the least amount of words. So he's doing that. And he's presenting both the intrinsic and the extrinsic nature of that supreme absolute truth. Jiva's going to bring all that out as we proceed. Therefore, having established this explanation, which is firmly rooted in Shrutis, the intention can be summarized as follows. The superimposition, Europa, of an object takes place only 
when it has no factual existence in a particular substratum, but is observed to exist somewhere else. For example, silver does not exist in an oyster shell, but is found elsewhere. Therefore, the existence of an object cannot be the cause of the existence of another object with which it has no real contact. So, again, a technical approach, but reality comes from reality. It's, it's what is being, in simple words, reality comes from reality. Even if you want to look at it as, as simply a, an imposition, that imposition or that understanding in this instance has to come from, from something that is real. You, you cannot arrive at or have an imposition, which is, again, as I said, he's kind of circling back around to his argument in opposition to Advaita Vod. So he's, he's trying to make a very firm point. They say that if you impose ignorance on Brahman, if you've done that, and that's what they say has been done, then you, the result can be a conception of material existence. That's their philosophy, right? That it's an imposition on Brahman. You're in ignorance. If you wake up from ignorance and, know, have, and get knowledge, that imposition simply is gone. But he's saying here, no, the, the world is real because the source of your idea in and of itself is real. It's an interesting approach, but he's saying if you have, if you're trying to use this argument of imposition, then understand that the, the original source has to be real. It has to itself has some sub substance, and all this is being based on this first verse of the Bhagavatam. Janmadyashayata. This, this, this is this creation is com coming from something. It's not coming from nothing, even if you think it's an imposition, even with that faulty logic. Well, that logic itself, to utilize that logic, you have, to, you have to see it in the context of what you're presenting. And you can't just say that, what, how's he put it here? The existence of an object cannot be the cause of the existence of another object with which it has no real contact. There has to be some, you have to be able to make some real uh, connection. There has to be a real connection for it to have any meaning. Just like you say that there's silver in an oyster shell. 
There's no silver there, but what? There is silver. There is an oyster shell. The fact that you've projected one on the other doesn't diminish the fact that there's silver and there's an oyster shell. Your misapplication is between two real objects. So you're saying that the real object Brahman, you can apply an imposition, you know, a ropia, you can impose upon it the concept of the, of the world. You can if there's a real world and if there's a real Brahman. But it doesn't work if you say the world isn't real. It's a, it's it, I, it's a I know it's a matter of logic, but it has some standing in the way he's conveying these opening tattvas, these opening truths that are there, put there by Srila Vyasudeva in both the Vedanta Sutra and the Bhagavatam. Because, but because the Shrutis affirm in the primary sense that the threefold creation has arisen from Bhagavan, he being self-endowed with such potency, and because without him it cannot exist at all, therefore it verily exists in him alone who consists of everything. And it's there in the scripture. And everybody accepts the scripture as the ultimate praman. Even the Advaitins, they have, they accept the scripture. They have their own interpretation, but he says, well, what about the scriptures talk of Bhagavan? So he'll go on and he'll, he'll give some additional information. Therefore, the creation is not superimposed on him, but superimposition as a concept persists nonetheless merely in the form of a doubt. And this too, in spite of the fact that Bhagavan is altogether untainted by the created world due to his transrational potency as stated in the verse, Damnasvena Sada Nirataskahakam, by whose own self-effulgence all deception is utterly dispelled. Bhagavan is untainted by the material creation. Moreover, Jiva continues, according to the example from Vishnu Purana, just as the light of a fire situated in one place is diffused all around, so also the energy of the Supreme Brahman pervades this whole universe. It is by virtue of his existence alone that the world also exists. Thus, Bhagavan's reality, Satyatva, is primary, and the threefold creation is also not false. Now, both these things are being presented in this opening verse. Both these ideas. One at the very end, Satyam Param Dimahi. We're meditating on that Supreme. And what's the nature of that Supreme? Intrinsic to his very nature, his Swarup, although it's it can be looked at differently, and he's gone over that, but intrinsic to his Swarup is the fact that material nature, he himself, 
by his very nature, is not affected. In fact, the material nature is conquered over by his effulgence alone. It's conquered over. So that's at the end of the of the first verse. Chacham param dimahi. His abode, would you say, was primary? Bhagavan's... His effulgence. His effulgence is primary? And the world is, nonetheless, material manifestation is not false? Well, we're talking about the two ideas. In, so the first one is, there is the supreme, Satyam Param Di Mahi. And his very nature is that the material manifestation is is conquered by his mere effulgence. It, it can't stand before him. It has no influence upon him. But the verse opens up with Janmad Yasya Yataha. The whole material manifestation springs forth from him. Now, as we go forward, he's going to really get into one is the Sarup Lakshana and one is the Tatasta Lakshana. So, the Sarup Lakshana, of course, is Satyam Param Dimahi. The Janmad, the creation, that's a secondary thing. So, how do you meditate? Where's the word Dimahi? The Dimahi is in relationship with Satyam, which is his Swarup, his, his nature. So it's all this is there. It's the, the creation springing forth from him, and you want to meditate on him. But how do you meditate? So that will also come out <laughs> as we go on. However, according to the example, just as light light lights up a room, it is by virtue of his existence alone that the world exists. Thus, Bhagavan's reality, Satyatva, is primary. His that's the primary. His reality, Satyam, his you know, his existence. And the threefold creation is also not false, because he's not false. And it's springing forth from him. This is supported by the following Shruti. It's an Upanishadic statement. He is the truth of existence. The vital force, Pran, is indeed real. And he is the core truth of that reality. This Shruti text shows that the supreme reality is Bhagavan, who is the original source of all growth and subtle beings. Herein referred to by the word prana, the vital force, the vital life force, which have been admitted to be real by practical experience. The Bhagavatam, being an explanation of Vedanta Sutra, has no purpose in establishing any principle contrary to the Vedanta Sutra. We accept the Bhagavatam as the mature commentary. Not all Vaishnavas accept the Bhagavatam as the topmost commentary on the Vedanta Sutra. So, 
that's okay. There's no real objection to that. We just think we have the best commentary available. And we would argue the point. But what's important is to know that there's nothing in the Bhagavatam that's going to be a contradiction to what's presented in the Vedanta Sutra. Because the Bhagavatam is simply, it's, it's a commentary. It's illuminating the Vedanta Sutra. Of course, we would say the Vedanta Sutra is illuminating the Bhagavatam because the Bhag- from our perspective. But the point is, just to know that there's no contradiction between the points made in either of these texts. And the concluding remark in the commentary is very enlightening. Moreover, for a cause-effect relation to exist between two objects, they must have factual existence. But if Brahman is the only reality and the world is mere illusion, then it is not possible to establish a cause-effect relation between them. The Janmadhyasya Yataha, the whole creation springs forth, but one of the creations not real and the source of the creation is real. The Advaita Vod, their whole, if they're accepting scripture, scriptural statements, how can they justify this? How can they justify this idea that you could have an unreal world coming from the real Brahman? It's a factual existence. But if Brahman is the only reality the world is mere illusion, then it is not possible to establish a cause-effect relation between them. This contradicts the opening words of the Bhagavatam verse under discussion, as well as numerous Vedic statements proclaiming Brahman as the cause of the world. This proves that the world is not an outcome of adyasya, rooted in the ignorance of the jiva but is a creation of Bhagavan who has real potency as attested by the Shruti. This is the significance of the word words Yatra Trisargo Mrisha in the verse. So Ajasya literally means superimposition in the sense of mistaken <coughs> ascription or imputation to something of an essential nature or attribute not belonging to it. Again, we come back to when all logical presentations, why they could be put forth, they have, we have to be ultimately able to support those by Shastra. Shastra is is key. She's going to put forth an objection, which is okay. Um, well, let's say I was real. Okay, so I'm real. Okay. And I can think of something that's not real. I can have an idea that's not real, mm-hmm. like the sky flower. Now, the sky and the flower are real, mm-hmm. right? But the sky and flower are real within me, 
sky and flower are real. My idea of a sky flower is not real. So isn't that just like they could think that Brahman is real? Brahman's creation of the world is simply an idea based on something that is within him. Like this is just an idea, a false idea of things that are actually within him. Like I know a flower, I have experienced a flower, and I have experienced the sky. Mm-hmm. Those are real. And if I were God, not just I think I would, but if I were God, then those things would be within me. The sky and the flower would be within me. Mm-hmm. But for me to think of a sky flower, that's not real. So just like the material world, everything is within Brahman. That's all real within Brahman. But the idea of the world in a particular way But the main thing being brought out here is what in relationship? When we look to the Advaitin viewpoint, their viewpoint is Brahman. If 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 you have the material world, their idea regarding the material world is there's a manifestation in the material world which comes about simply by the imposition of Ignorance upon Brahman. So you have the result of that ignorance is the material manifestation and your illusory existence. And if you simply give that up. Now we do not deny that in Brahman there there is the whole concept of the material manifestation. It springs forth from Brahman. That's a fact. But he's real and it's real. Their contention is is that the material world is not real. Like my idea of a sky flower. But your idea of a sky flower is coming from what? Real sky and real flower. A real sky and a real flower. Which is within Brahman. How's it within Brahman? It's a manifestation within the material. It's manifestation of the material reality. For you to imagine anything, really, to give a name and a form to anything, there has to be something to base that upon. That's what Jeeva is trying to convey to us here. There has to be something to base it upon. You may make a, although you may arrive at a wrong conclusion or conceive of something that's not possible in or not experienced in in the world as a reality. It could be in your dream world, as you say, I dream about it. Well, that's okay, but it's based on something that does have a basis in reality. So that's the point G is trying to convey to us. Wouldn't they just say that that original thing though that cave silver on the oyster shell mm-hmm. that, that oyster shell exists in Brahman and the silver exists in Brahman mm-hmm. but the fact that you have laid that silver upon the oyster shell that's your illusion that's the illusion so the what will come out as we go into this it's interesting because what comes out is the fact that within the scripture it's explained that the Lord his potency and en- enters into the material creation and by his potency, 
names or names and forms come about. So that's a real potency. And if you want to say it's it's of Brahman, of course we go we have a deeper understanding of Brahman because if Brahman exerts potency, that is a quality. So now all of a sudden we have a qualified Brahman, which is different from the Advaitin conception. So Advaitin conception or the dualistic conception, one or the other, there has to be an existent from everything from which everything that exists comes, even your conception of a non-existent reality has to be based on the fact that there is an existent reality. Does that make sense? Does that satisfy your opposition? I mean, you're saying, well, Brahman can think of the world just as you can think of a sky flower. That doesn't make it so. Well, it does make it so because he's the supreme existent and the Shastras say so. Shruti says so. So that's the basis for the reality. The reality is coming because he says so. Because he thought it and therefore it is. That's God. And he can make a sky flower if he wants, right? There's nothing he can't do. He can. That's why Sri Shaitanya, his philosophy is a chinta, beta beta tattva. There's no limits. Then we then we don't we don't put God in a box and say he can only do this or he can only do that. What he can do is inconceivable. The fact that he can both be God and be separate from the world and be separate from us, but be us, all that he can do. As Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Dev Goswami says, it allows God the ability, this achinta, beta beta tattva, this tattva gives us the most comprehensive understanding of God as the supreme autocrat. He can call the shots. He's not bound by this or he's he's completely inconceivable we're not going to we're not going to box him in with our intellect or box him in and this is this is the extent then we get into philosophies like karma mimamsa and god becomes subject to karma no it doesn't work that way he doesn't have to follow the rule of karma he can spring forth from a pillar he doesn't have to be born even in Leela, he's not restricted in any way. So the fact that a reality comes from a reality is the point that's being made. The fact that you're saying that, well, Brahman can think up the world. Yes, Brahman can think up the world because he's the supreme existent. Such Yam Param did. We meditate upon him. And he said, let there be light and let the light. So. That's Shastra. That we accept. He said, let there be a world of, of forms and names, and he enters into that world with his potency, and he creates a world of forms with names. We need to think these things through, but ultimately, 
Yes, he is the supreme autocrat and he is that supreme. So all these points Jeeva's making are, are, they bring this out. Well, what about? Well, why not? Well, this is why not. And this is how. And this is why it works. And we're not just a bunch of uh, robotrons following a, a, a system of, of logical uh, presentation in a mindless manner. These things are well thought out. It's meant to give us a, a true revelation of what the reality is that we can enter into and, and grasp fully, yes. So when we talk about God, we talk about it in this way. We understand in this way, this is what it means to be God. And this is the way we're just on the first verse of the Bhagavatam. We could stay on the first verse of the Bhagavatam for eons. How much is there? It expands unlimitedly. Jiva's just giving us one glimpse. Go to Vishwanath Chakravarti's commentary on the first verse. Or A.C. Bhaktivedanta. Didn't Bhaktivedanta speak on the first verse for like seven days? 30 days. 30 days on the first verse. Probably all day. <laughs> so we'll go on to the next subsection of the 105th Anucheta. Param, the object of meditation, is Bhagavan who has form. So we'll begin. Jiva Goswami says, Thereafter, Vyasa elucidates the very same reality again, doing so this time by, by elaboration of its extrinsic characteristics, Tatasta Laksana. Tatasta, like us. In between. Outside of, but still connected. Tatasta. Tatasta Laksana. Extrinsic characteristics. With the intent to inform the reader, that's us, that this work of literature is a commentary on the Brahma Sutras, conveying their clear meaning. His fir he first repeats the second sutra verbatim. From whom this cosmos emanates. Janmadyashayata. Janmadi means creation, sustenance, and dissolution. This is a bahuvriti compound of the Tad Guna Samvigyana type. <laughs> What's that mean? It means there's similarity there between what comes after. Although the Janmad is just the first the first word, but that it implies it's not just the creation the birth of the universe, it's the sustenance and the dissolution. So just by the use of that word, it's a certain kind of Sanskrit word, and from that use of that word, we can, because of the nature of the word itself, naturally conclude that it means not only the creation, it also means sustenance and dissolution. I could read the, it's a very, in the commentary, he, he unpacks it all in, in, according to the Sanskrit understanding. 
of words than the usage in this context. Remember, this is the second line. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Janmadhyasya Yato Nanyad Itaritas Charthe Swabhijna Swarat Thus, the structure of the verse should be arranged as follows. Let us meditate, Dimahi, upon that absolute, Param, from whom, Yata, this cosmos appears. Meaning that it arises from him through his transrational potency, both in his form as the constituents, Upadan, and the agent of creation. By this word, Asya, it is meant the cosmos, which contains innumerable doers and agents of experience, beginning from Brahma all the way down to the grass, which is the shelter of the results of all actions that are subject to each individual case, to place time and cause, and which has variegated wonderful designs that cannot even be conceived by the mind. The statements from the Upanishads for the contextualization of this sutra, the Visaya Vakya, are as follows. In the Tatatriya Upanishad, beginning from the son of Varuna, Bhrigu, approached his father, O Sar, please teach me about Brahman, up to you should aspire to know that from which all these beings are born, in which they live after birth and unto which they approach and enter, that is Brahman, and that Brahman created light. In the verse under discussion, Srimad Bhagavatam 111, creation, sustenance, and dissolution, Janmadi, all three are concluded there, are used in the sense of upalaksana, or incidental distinguishing marks. Incidental distinguishing marks of the Supreme Reality, Satyam Param. They're secondary. It's just incidental. It's not, not when we talk about Satyam Param, yeah, so he does some creation on the side. Is basically, it's secondary. It's not the main, the the main understanding that needs to be arrived at in 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 your conception of the supreme. Is basically what the verse is saying. You may be able to recognize through well here they were to use the word contextualization that there is a supreme based on. The context of, well, there is a world, and there is a me, and there is everybody else, and it's real wonderful, a sun, a moon, I can breathe air, I can eat, I have senses, it's all just great. There must be a source. Yes, but that's not all the Supreme is. It may be all that you can use to conceive of a supreme based on your experience, but we're here to tell you through the presentation of this commentary on the Vedanta Sutra, Srimad Bhagavatam, there's a lot more there. 
So the way Vyasadeva has com- composed this opening verse of the Bhagavatam is meant to bring us to an understanding of this creation aspect, incidental, secondary. It's not the Swarup Lakshana. It's the Tataksa Lakshana. It's a secondary. But it's still connected. It's not that it's not connected. It has some connection. Are used in the sense of Upalakshana or incidental distinguishing marks of the supreme reality Satyam Param and not as Visesana or essential defining characteristics. As such, they do not form part of the meditation on the Absolute, Param. Rather, the Supreme Reality is to be meditated upon only in its pure, essential form. Satyam Param Dimahi. And if you look at the, 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 even if you look at the composition of the verse, there's, they're far apart. One's at the very end, one's at the very beginning. Moreover, because this reality, who is qualified by the above stated adjectives, the fact that he is the one and only true existence, Satyam, and that he eternally dispels Maya through his own intrinsic potency, Swena Damna Sada Kuhakam. By his own intrinsic potency, he dispels Maya is the cause behind the creation, sustenance, and dissolution of the universe. It indicates that he is omnipotent, sarva, saktitva, and infallible resolve, has infallible resolve, such as sankalpatya, sankalpatya, is omniscient, sarva, jnatva, and is endowed with supreme lordship, sarve, swaratva, there are Shruti statements in support of this. Then he quotes a couple. This creation evolves from he who is omniscient, conscious of everything, and whose creative capacity, tapas, is also of the nature of consciousness. And he who controls everything. In addition, by, the, by virtue of the supreme reality's transcendence or supremacy, paratva, it is indicated that he is completely devoid of all reprehensible and antagonistic characteristics in his essential being, and is endowed with unlimited auspicious qualities, such as knowledge, as stated in the Shruti. He does not have a material body or material senses. So we will continue from there in our next discussion. Are there any questions into what we discussed this evening? Something right at the end about him not having any sort of base qualities, any sort of any yeah. bad qualities. I didn't really did he kind of have a logical explanation? No, it's that just it's just, just sort of an assertion that he It's just an assertion. Uh, in addition, by virtue of the supreme realities transcendent or, or transcendence or supremacy mm-hmm. but just because he is that supreme existent mm-hmm. it is indicated and there's going to be a lot of indications that Jiva's going to pull out here mm-hmm. just because right. just because 
then we can say he has to have a form. So, yeah, he's... But understand, he's doing this in relationship to the very first verse of the Bhagavatam, knowing that the verse itself is giving us an indication of what to, to come in the text. So, similarly, Jiva's pulling out from the first verse these things as he explains the first verse, knowing that as we enter deeper into the text, all these things are going to be brought out. So he's not really saying the verse says specifically this. He's saying the verse gives indication to this because the verse is, is the opening verse and the subject is Bhagavan and what's the nature of a subject? It has, it can have in a in a text. It can come forth. What is it in six different ways? The beginning and the ending, sub, uh, beginning and ending, uh, repetition, glorification, all these different characteristics. So we're talking about the beginning and the end. They, we know that they do, they're both about Bhagavan the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And we know that throughout the text, all these things are going to be drawn out. So here he's saying, just by the virtue of it being the Supreme Reality, it is indicated that he is completely devoid of all reprehensible and antagonistic characteristics in his essential being. Just because it's him. He's not saying, well, right here in this particular verse, it's saying that. No, this verse is giving us an indication. And I'm, I'm pulling out from this verse some of the things that are going to be, that are being indicated just by the fact that Satyam Paramdhimahi. When you say that, all these things flood. You're flooded with all these characteristics. And one of them is that he's completely free of these characteristics. His essential being as it, and is endowed with unlimited auspicious qualities, such as knowledge is stated in the Shruti. He does not have a material body or material senses. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association.